How many of you brought your Bibles tonight? You know how privileged you are to have the Word of God? For hundreds and hundreds of years, the priests were the only ones that had it. And they even had it in languages that the common people couldn't speak. The church didn't feel like the laity was smart enough to interpret Scripture. They, they felt like they had to control all that. But you have a freedom of access to God's Word that's unprecedented in world history. I mean, every, every just about every translation, every version you can find, you can get it for the most part free. I mean, it's Word of God, the best-selling book in history. We're teaching on Proverbs 8 tonight, and we, we get to change gears here because of the previous few chapters, as you could tell whether the pastor's nervousness was about sex, and pastor struggled a little bit with that one there, but you know, we, we shouldn't. It's, it's part of human nature, it's part of us, and God has a lot to say about it. So if God has stuff to say about it, then it means it's important to us. But Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to change gears just a little bit. And uh, we're going to talk, in Proverbs 8, he describes wisdom, and he describes it as a woman. Now, this is, you know, on first glance, that may seem a little unusual. You're thinking about, well, how, how does wisdom get described with gender? How does it get described as a person? As it, how, does it, how, how does that come about? Well, one, one aspect of, about, of it is, a living person is something you can have a relationship with. This is not a dead book. This is not a dead letter. God is pretty commonly uses that, uh, calling what we would think as inanimate objects or non-living things. He gives them life by naming them, like uh, in. Uh, Luke chapter 16, he talks about you can't serve God and mammon. He talks about money and describes it as a living thing. And let me tell you something. You know, you know how things get non-living things get life? When their creator puts life in them or their owner puts life in them. And believe me, there are people who personify their money. They worship that money. They, they may not get down on their knees and they may not say, say Hail Mary to it. They may not light candles to it. They may not go through any religious ceremony, but their lifestyle worships it. Uh, in uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 says the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us. That word there is Logos, which is a written word but God said, it's my son. He gave his word life. Uh, in Psalms 24, there's an interesting pas uh, passage in there that talks about lift up, lift up your head, O ye gates, and the king of glory will come through. Uh, there's a whole other lesson in that. In, in Jewish culture, the gates of the city was the place where all legal transactions took place. That's where if you were going to buy a proper piece of property, you went through there and uh, you presented your documentation to the elders of the city. Or if you were going to uh, have a divorce, that's where you would go to. And uh, whenever, you, most of you, when you were in Sunday school, you heard a story about Jacob's ladder, where Jacob says out there sleeping in the 
angels are going up and down on the ladder. And Japheth said, this is none other than the gate of heaven. Because what, what took place there at that place? The deed to the promised land, God transferred it to Jacob there at the gate. And that, that's another lesson altogether. But God often took things that we would think as inanimate or just an object or just a concept and he would breathe life into him with his word and he would give it a personality and this is something that he does in here with wisdom you know so we're talking about women in the previous chapters we read about some women there but they were immoral women in proverbs chapter 6 he talks about the woman who seduces with her beauty and flattery in proverbs chapter 7 the immoral woman who's in the open square and lurks at every corner but we get into chapter 8, and he's talking to about a different type of woman here. And there's some things about here. There, there, well, first off, we're going to talk about the plea of wisdom. Chapter 8, verse one, number 1, Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, Beside the way where the paths meet, she cries out by the gate at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the door. So wisdom is crying out to you. Now, if you ask everybody about it, we'll understand if they say, you know, who was the wisest man that ever lived? And most people say, well, yeah, that was Solomon. If you go back and look at what Solomon's request to God was, it, we translate it as being wisdom. But when God came to Solomon and said, what do you desire from me? And he said, I desire an understanding heart to rule your people. And Solomon excelled at an understanding heart, the ability to understand people. Most of you went to Sunday school, you remember the story of the two mothers that brought one baby to Solomon. They both had babies. Apparently one of them rolled over on their baby in the middle of the night, crushed the baby, so they woke up with one, one live baby and one dead baby, and both mothers show up in front of Solomon saying, both of them saying, it's my baby. Well, Solomon said, bring me a, a sword. I'll just cut it in two and give half of it to each of you. What did he do? Because he knew human nature. He knew how people thought. He knew how people acted. He understood what the response likely would be from the real mother. See, a pastor brought this out here a few weeks ago. The book of, Solomon, of Proverbs is a book, the word Proverbs just means wise sayings. What you have to understand, these are not hard, fast, spiritual laws. It's, you can't say thus, say, you know, one passage of Scripture says that if you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And I've had people try to claim that as a promise from God. Well, I raised my children right, it's impossible for them to stray, because God's Word says, that they'll not straight. No, this, this is a principle that Solomon is illustrating that says, if you train your children right, the principle is they won't stray. That but God still gives them free will. I guarantee you, people in this room, if you don't have kids that you've gone through it with, you know somebody that has, that brought their children to church, taught them right, protected them, sowed God's Word into their life, and then when they got old enough to make decisions, they made some lousy decisions and rebelled against God. And you can see, and the personality plays into it so much. You, you, uh, it amazes me sometimes when I see families 
I, I was talking with a good friend today, and him and his wife have three children. Two of the children are youth pastors. Absolutely sold out, dedicated to God, in church every time the doors open, support financially, do missions work. They do anything they can for God. And then they have one other son, the middle son. He's just been a mess. He's been a challenge. And he'll just flat out tell you, he said, man, he said, I'm not even sure there is a God. Went to the same churches, raised by the same people, but something was different, whether it was an exposure that he got in contact with along the way. So these are not laws. But if you do wise things, the principle is the outcome will always be better than if you do dumb things. I mean, the Word of God, the book of Proverbs can be summed up in one short little sentence, most of it. Don't do stupid stuff. I mean, that's, you know... You, you can't go around sowing bad seed all your life and then expect a good outcome of it. But the plea of wisdom, she's crying out to be heard. She's lifting up her voice. She's not hiding in the corner, but she's openly standing out there and proclaiming her voice. And when things are working, when things are right, it's obvious to see. The point of this is, just like Pastor brought out, knowing these things, hearing the voice of wisdom, understanding that it's the voice of wisdom, doesn't necessarily mean that we will go always do it. And Solomon is the biggest example that I think can think of in history. How many of you would agree that Having a thousand women in your life probably isn't very wise. I know how much effort it goes into taking care of one. And, and, and no, I don't believe me. I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just, let me tell you something. Relationships are work. They're hard work. It takes commitment. It takes dedication. It takes hard work to make relationships work successfully. And so you've got this guy, Solomon, who understands people, understands human nature, very wise person, and ends up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. I was talking with someone here the other day about that. I said, you realize, got a thousand women there. If he slept with one of them every night, a different one every night, it'd take three years to go through the cycle. Can you imagine the drama in that household? But smart, wise people do stupid things. But the whole time, wisdom is crying out and saying, listen to me. I'm telling you, don't do that. It's not going to end well. You know, they've been said, you know, there's one, I don't even know who it was that coined the phrase, but they said that one definition of insanity is if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different outcome. It, it doesn't work that way. But she's by the gate. She's by the entry of the city. She desires to be heard. Verse number 4, to, to you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O oh, you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. His voice is calling to everybody, even the ones that aren't so smart. You know, I mean, you, brothers and sisters, 
you doesn't take someone, someone doesn't have to have that much education and that knowledge to recognize something that doesn't work. I mean, you know, if, if you've already been married four times and you're getting ready to go through your fifth one, is it a possibility something's not working? Do, do you really have to have a PhD to figure out something's not working right here? I'll, I'll even take it in a different direction. If you've been going through life unfaithful to God and you're living and your financial situation just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse, is there at some point are you going to figure out that this isn't working? Most of you've heard of Dr. Phil. He was that television psychologist. And you know, and there's there's people that agree with him and disagree with him, and they're, you know, I'm I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not here to pass judgment, but he does say something that I definitely agree with. He will be counseling his people and he will say, Well, we're going through this. He said, Well, what are you doing about this? And he what he'll ask me, he how's that working for you? If it's not working, maybe you need to change and do something else. But wisdom, the wisdom is the proper use of knowledge that you have available to you. Praise God. What, what, what is she desiring to impart? Verse number 6. Listen, for I speak of excellent things. From the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. Nothing or crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Does those sound like good words to listen to? Verse number 10. We receive my instructions and not silver and my knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So she's crying out and she's saying, guys, I've got a better way than what you've been doing. Consider your ways is what the Scripture says. How's it working for you? And the Word of God is just... You know, you know, you can if you read the proverb, if you read one proverb a day, you'll go through the book of Proverbs every month. That is a very, very good devotion that you could go through. You you will pick up so much good advice. You, you know why you can? Well, brother, that stuff's you know, it was written thousands of years ago, it's old, it's antique, it just doesn't apply anymore. No, no, no. Human nature never changes. The environment we're in changes, but the way we think, the way we respond, the way we, our natures don't change. And that's what Solomon deals with, is your nature, the way human beings think, because he had an understanding heart. Alright, the next section is, we just talked about the plea of wisdom. The next section, starting in verse number 12, is the value of wisdom. Verse number 12, I wisdom, speaking of herself, she uses a personal pronoun, I wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. 
counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I am strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. How many of you just ever felt like you just wanted, wanted to connect with God? Ever been in that spot there where, man, you know, Lord, I just need you? He says here, about when we're talking about wisdom, God is referring to his own personality, his own thought process, his own way of thinking. He said, if you seek me diligently, you'll find me. If you seek wisdom diligently, you'll find it. But most people aren't serious enough about it that they're willing to put in the time and the effort that it takes to get to that point. We, you know, well, I, you know, well, I'm having financial troubles. I need some advice. What do you mean I need to get a job? That's not how it's supposed to work. Sometimes we just don't want to hear what wisdom has to say. Verse number 18. Now, if you remember back just a few verses back, he says, seek wisdom rather than silver, rather than gold, rather than rubies. He says, you'd rather have, you need wisdom more than you need those things. And verse number 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. How does riches and honor sound to everybody? See, the, the principles in God's Word, the principles of wisdom, if you do wise things, the outcome of it will be good. I mean, you, you, the vast majority of people in this country do not have an income problem. You know, some do. I, I, I've heard a, uh, I, if I remember right, now, I'm not going to quit. There was a, a financial program, a Christian financial program I was listening to here a number of years back. And this was far enough back that, you know, the incomes weren't as high as they are now. And he was counseling three different families. And each one of them were having severe financial problems. One family, their household income was about $18,000 a year. Pretty low by the day's standards, but, you know, nonetheless, it was what it was. The second family was making about 24000 a year, and the third family was making about $36,000 a year, which at that time, a number of years back, was pretty good income. But he's counseling the first family, so he just kind of did this experiment with them. He said, asked the family that was making 18000 a year, said, if you could get your income up to 24000 a year, could you make it? Oh, yeah, we could make it just great. So then he goes to the family that's making 24000 a year that's struggling too and says, you know, you're making 24000 If we could get your income up to 36000 a year, would you be able to get by on that? Oh, yeah, brother, we'd, be, we'd feel so blessed. We'd be, great. we'd be doing great. All our problems would be solved. He goes to the family with 36000 a year and they're struggling too. They don't have enough money to go around. And he tries to ask them, how much would you need to get by? And they really couldn't, they couldn't answer. They couldn't, you know, most people don't have any idea what their household spends at a given time. Most of the time, we don't have 
a income issue. We have a spending problem. If your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep becomes your downfall. And I don't want to be tripping out into the financial situation all evening here, but it, brothers and sisters, it's such a a vital part of the American way of thinking and how we think. Everything in our society centers around money, 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 money. And it's simply a matter. Take what God gives you. Live with that. Follow the principles of God's Word that you need to be putting some aside. You need to be... There are three things. First thing you should be doing when you get paid is your first goes to God. Next, you need to be setting aside some so that you're not strapped with just Social Security a few years down the road. And then from there, just take care of your commitments and take care of your bills. If you can't afford to pay for it, don't buy it. Anybody argue with me that that's not wisdom? Praise the Lord. So we had the plea of wisdom, then we have the value of wisdom. Get on down to verse number, we would say, you know, princes rule by it, kings rule by it. These, they don't, well, praise the Lord. There we go. Got my, my electronic Bible decided to go black on me here. I, 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 just, I wouldn't have panicked. I'd have just borrowed somebody's Bible and we'd have just kept on going. So there, there's value in wisdom. It says, riches and honor are with me. Enduring riches and righteousness. You follow God's principles and the principle will be you will be successful in it. If you're, you, you use wise business practices, you will prosper. Praise God. But if you use unwise practices, don't expect God to just grow money on trees and meet all your needs anyway. So there's value in wisdom. Next we're going to talk about the possession of wisdom. Go down to verse number 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters could not transgress his command, he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. So the wisdom was there before creation. There's some people who try to make the argument, well, you know, it's referring to Jesus here because Jesus was in the beginning with God. Jesus was present at creation. That's one of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Jesus is God. Any of those of you who've been through the new uh, beginning class, the new believers class, that's one of the first 
fundamental doctrines you need to understand as a Christian. Jesus is God. He pre-existed his birth. He was there in the beginning with God at creation. Maybe it was referring someone to Jesus, but I, I don't see anything to make concrete in there doctrinally. But nonetheless, say, wisdom, as God declares it, was there right in the very beginning. And God used wisdom in all of his ways when he created this. I mean, it's, you know, the Bible says that the fool said in his heart, there is no God. It amazes me the lengths that people will go to to try to deny God's existence, God's nature, God's creation. You know, just, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, deeply schooled on this, but if you look at life in general, you look around, you look at nature, you look at creation, and then try to imagine how all of this stuff works together in unison. And yet atheists will try to ask you to believe that this all just happened by accident. They really can't even make a scientific argument. If, if you talk to an atheist, if you talk to the typical school science teacher today, especially in higher education, they'll just tell you the matter is settled, evolution is a fact. And if you start bringing up anything that contradicts their argument, they will get mad. I'm saying this because this is what your kids are getting taught. If you, you have laws and you have theories in science. Theory is when you come up with an idea, and I think it might be this way. I need to test this theory and see if I can find evidence to support this theory. Laws are something that you can demonstrate the ability to repeat over and over and over again. And if you do a little research in science, you'll find out there's a couple of laws in nature. One, one, one of them is referred to the second law of thermodynamics. The other one is called the law of entropy. And a big fancy word. All, all the law of entropy means is that over time, everything in nature through a process will revert from a, a state of complex down to a state of simple. Now, you've, you've got an automobile out here. How many of you drive a car? How many of you drive an older car? I've, I've, driven, you know, I've, I've driven some cars that were older that I wasn't real proud to be driving. I've seen some of them that had rust coming through the fenders on. You know what? At one time, that car was somebody's brand new pride and joy. But what is happening to that car? The refined iron and metals and stuff that that car was made from over time and exposure to nature and the elements is slowly reverting back to its basic compounds, the iron oxides and so forth. That it can, And over time, it will just simply dissolve. You give it enough time, your vehicle will rust away. Because what's happened? The law of entropy means everything. It's, it didn't start simple and then transform itself to something complex, it moves in the opposite direction. Man put it together and made something complex out of it, but just nature in and of itself breaks it down and tears it down and reverts it back to something simple. And they, they will gladly agree that that's a scientific law. Yes, it does happen. We can demonstrate that, but in the case of evolution... That whole process just reversed itself and things started getting more and more and more complex. 
you know, it'd be kind of like if, you know, if I, if I loaded up a, a you know, a, a, a giant truckload full of scrap metal and dumped it into the back of a cement mixer and you start tumbling it around and shaking it around, how many billion years would it take for it to assemble itself into a brand new 57 Chevy? You laugh at me on that, but you know what? The body you live in is a lot more complex than what that 57 Chevy is, but the, 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 the fools, the people who say there is no God, the ones who deny wisdom, the wisdom of God's creation, the design of God's creation, will try to tell you that's what happened. The, law, the second law of thermodynamics means that over a period of time, all the energy in an environment will be dispersed out evenly. Here, here's the easy way to describe it. What temperature in here is what? Probably 74, 75 degrees, something in that range. If I walk in here with a glass of ice water, I mean ice cold water, ice cubes floating in it, sweating on the outside of it, and I just set it here, four or five hours from now, you're going to come back, you know what it's going to be? That's going to be the same temperature as everything else in here is. Because everything gradually equalizes, and yet throughout creation, throughout our universe, you don't see a everything equalizing. You see all the energy concentrated in places. Say, okay, oh yeah, all this dust came together and it created so much mass and it started this chemical reaction and it started burning and it formed this star. Give me a break, folks. Why, 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 it sounds like maybe I'm getting off my lesson here. But God's wisdom was there at creation. And when you start denying the creation of God, you're denying God's wisdom. Because God designed it all to work together. You know, you've heard the, 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 the old thing about what came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first, male or female? Well, according to Scripture, male came first, but then God created female too. But you realize that for evolution to take place, male and female who are both have some pretty significant distinctions between them. Genetically, they're different. Physiologically, they're different. They would have had to have evolved at exactly the same time, at the exactly the same rate. Otherwise, if Randy evolved first and Portia didn't, Mandy wouldn't be here. But, but God's wisdom, that, that's why Scripture says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But this is the type of stuff that your children are being taught in our public education system. They're being taught. It, it, guys, it's, really, it's not at all about a lack of evidence of there being a God or there being a Creator. But what it boils down to is when people are faced with this choice that if there is a God and He created all this and He owns all this, then that means I belong to Him and I should be subject to Him and subject to His rules and His laws. And because people are unwilling to accept that, they have to come up with some alternative explanation for how everything got here. It can't be God. We've ruled out God. Why did you rule out God? Well, you just can't be. I just can't accept that. So they've got to come up with something different. And 
whenever you devalue people down to the level to where all we are is just a random process, this clump of cells, it starts developing a mindset that we can stop valuing each other because we can't look at each other as being created in God's image and God's likeness and that we're precious in His sight. And so we don't feel like we have to. So we can run roughshod over other people. If that baby's going to mess up and going to make my life uncomfortable, I could just abort it. If, uh, you know, if grandma's becoming too much of a financial strain on me to take care of her in her old age, I can just pull the plug on that. And that's the mindset that develops. You, you, look, you look out through history at the horrible atrocities that people have done to each other. You look at the Holocaust, the Nazi slaughtering millions of Jewish people. How do they do that? By devaluing those people and seeing them as less than God's creation and precious in His sight. And, that, and through all, you start opening that door up, human beings are capable of anything. Don't, don't, don't look at a sinful person and think, oh no, I could never do that. If you had the same mindset that they had, the same education they had, the same indoctrination that they had, and you start looking at things the way they've looked at it, yeah, you're capable of anything. Human beings are naturally, naturally, naturally. So that's one, one of the other fundamental doctrines of Christianity is the concept of original sin. We're all born into sin. I've had people before say, would you like me to prove original sin to you? I want to challenge you next Sunday to go to volunteer to work in the nursery. And I want you to hide every toy except one. You know what you'll have? You'll have a fight. You know, guess what? Who taught the kid to be selfish? Who taught the kid to want their own way? Nobody. Mom and daddy tried to teach them to share. Sunday school teacher tries to teach them be like, you know, what would Jesus do in this situation? I had one guy tell me one time, he said, what would Jesus do? Well, tipping over tables and chasing people with whips is not out of the realm of possibility. But, but human nature is original sin. We're all born into sin, and that's, that's the way we think. Before the earth was created, before, we, you, before you and I before it could even be imagined by someone like us that we could exist, before man was ever formed, before, the, before we even had an earth, God was there. In God's wisdom, He was planning it all out. He was making sure if He created this creature, this creature had this way of reproducing, it had this way of obtaining nutrition, it had the resources that it needed to provide its shelter or whatever. See, the whole system was planned out so perfectly. And you and I, we don't have the ability to plan things out like that like God does. But the wisdom used that lies by God in the creation of the, creation of the heavens and the earth is a voice crying out for us to hear. If we have ears to hear, are we going to hear? Finally, the blessedness of wisdom. Let's go to verse number 32. 
Now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All of those who hate me love death. Well, scripture says that there's a way which seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And that's, what, that's where we're headed if we just want to do things our way. God has a plan for me. He has a plan for you. And see, God's a little bit of an advantage from us because he can see the, he can see the beginning and he can see the end. And I've, you know, I've had people you know, kind of get in a quandary about the nature of God, that God is omnipresent, you know, he, which means he's always present. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-power. You know, this nature of God. And, and when you realize for a moment that God is eternal, He's not bound by time the way you and I are. You know how God knows about your future? Because He's already there. Now that's a hard concept to wrap a physical mind because we're so locked into time, but God's not locked into time. He knows what tomorrow brings. He knows what He has in store for you. And all we, all we need to do is just grasp a hold of His Word, His principles, His wisdom, and just walk in them. And I, I guarantee you, if you consistently operate wise principles, over time, you will consistently be successful in it. Uh, how many of you ever met someone who had an addiction to gambling? I, I know, of a, a matter of fact, as a pastor, that a friend of mine, that his wife got involved in gambling and pretty much lost everything that they had and destroyed their marriage over it. And if you, under, if you get to understanding something about gambling, they will let you win just enough to keep you coming back for more for the thrill of it. But because of the principles of it, but let, let's say that I'm having a game of chance with you and out of ten times that we make a bet on something, it's set up to where I'm going to win six and you're going to win four. Even if you occasionally win and get something big over on me, if we continue to play the game, sooner or later I'm going to clean you out. The same thing goes with making bad choices, doing unwise things. You may be able to pull it off for a while. Out of, the, out of those ten times that you made that decision, maybe four times in a row, man, it came, you might, even, you might win, even get really lucky and win a few good But if you continue to play by those rules, sooner or later you 
are going to lose. The same, the opposite is also true. If you do something wise, according to the principles of God's Word, wise sayings, God's Word said, I should do this and I shouldn't do that. Whatever, whatever it is you want. Yeah, God's Word said it's not a good idea for me to have several different women hanging on the string all the time. You know, God's Word teaches that it's not a good idea for me to spend more than I make. You just pick your poison, whatever it is. Wisdom will indicate it's probably not a good idea for me to put poisonous substances inside of my body. Just apply it to whatever area of your life you're working with. And you may, for a little while, get away with it. But because of the principles, just like that gambling at the casino, you might get by for a little bit, but if you continue to play the game, the way the laws work, the way the principles work, sooner or later, you're going to end up on the losing end of it. And it's that way for everybody. And so my challenge to you tonight is, let's consider our ways. Have a Dr. Phil moment. How is this working for you? How is this working for me? I've been doing it this way now for a long time, and it's consistently not turning out very good. Well, then maybe it's time to make a change. Maybe it's time to turn to God's Word and see what does God's Word have to say about your situation. Let's see what God's wisdom would have you do. I mean, you know, if, if your marriage is falling apart, let's go back to God's Word and see what principles of God's Word I'm ignoring about my marriage? You know, husbands, are you loving? You know, you know guys, the guys are going to get on the thing. Well, the Bible says a woman's supposed to submit unto the, to me. Well, first off, give her something to submit to. But Word of God says that you're to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And if you're not loving your wife at that level, I don't want to hear one word about you saying she won't submit. Ladies, if you're not honoring and respecting your husband the way God's Word teaches you to do it, then maybe you need to back up and look at, okay, I've been doing it my way. How about if I look at it God's Word? How about I look and see what God has to say about what I should be doing in this circumstance? And we never get too old to change our ways. Don't, don't, don't think because you've always done it this way, it has to be. I've got, I got to keep doing it because I always have. God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It applies to you and I just the same as it did to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The specific, the specific promises may be different. God's not promising you the city of Jerusalem. But the principles that how God operates with you is God always honors faithfulness. God honors commitment. God honors holiness. God watches over... He honors faithfulness in His giving. The, 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 I, I don't go down that path about, you know, uh, you know the, the, the name and claim and crowd that, you know, you need to give this so that God can give you an oil well and a limousine and three Cadillacs and a and 10,000 square foot mansion to live in just because you gave this amount of money to some televangelist. No, that, that, that's covetousness. You're trying to manipulate God to get what your lusts desire. 
But the principle of God's word is, as you are faithful to God, and God is able to trust you in faithfulness, God is better able to bless you and use you as a channel for his blessings to flow to other people. So, we had the plea of wisdom, the value of wisdom, the possession of wisdom, the blessedness of wisdom. Blessed is the man who listens to me, to wisdom, watching daily at the, my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever finds me and finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 4, uh, I think it's verses 20, 21, 22, says, My son, incline, my son, incline your ears to my hearing and keep my word before your eyes. He says, for my words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. What's life and what's health? Putting the principles of God's word to work in your life. It's not a law. It's not, it's not you know, well, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm honoring God's word, so God has to heal me. No. But the principle is that if you honor God's word, you're going to live a longer, healthier, more prosperous life. Because that's just the way nature works in God's plan. And if you do dumb things and ignore God's word and ignore his plan, the way that process is going to work is over time, you're going to bring... Well, what's the, the opposite of life? You said it'll bring life to those who find them? Well, the opposite of life, it'll bring death to those who find them. And health to all their pl flesh... Well, what's the opposite of hell? Praise God. Hallelujah. So that's Proverbs chapter 8. 